Welcome into Real Pod Wednesdays. Dan Hope joined, as always, by Griffin Strom here in Columbus, as Griffin is now back from covering the NCAA tournament in Pittsburgh, as we're back in the midst of spring football coverage here at Ohio State. And we're going to, we'll get to some football later in the show. We're going to talk a lot about basketball today after the Ohio State men's basketball season uh, came to an end in Pittsburgh. Griffin was there, survived another brush with death, my understanding, as almost got taken out on the in press row, but you survived. Yeah, the first row seating is pretty cool because I haven't had that all that many times, only about three or four times here this past season. Having that for the NCAA tournament and the Big Ten tournament, pretty cool deal there. But I did get my first player comes barreling through and knocks over one of the press members, which was the guy that happened to be sitting right next to me. So obviously we've got drinks and everything like that sitting there. So there was coffee flying, water flying. My laptop got wet. Luckily, nothing uh, short-circuited. And luckily, I didn't take the the brunt of the head-on collision. That was the guy next to me. But uh, it was pretty fun, and, and there was some documentation of it, so that was good. You've already got a partially broken hand over here. Like you're just having the one one incident after another. So this season has taken its pound of flesh for me for sure. But uh, I'm hanging in there and, and still going. Yeah, you know, there's been a lot of talk about injuries during the Ohio State basketball season. You can add uh, Griffin to those on the list who have been playing through the pain this season for Ohio State, and we'll get to that as we get into the show here. I think we got to start off the show though by giving a shout out to the Ohio State women's hockey team who won its first ever national championship on Sunday, beating Minnesota Duluth in the Frozen Four final. Phenomenal season by Ohio State women's hockey. Won 32 games, shattering the program record for wins. Uh, Won its last 10 straight games of the season. Ohio State entered the NCAA tournament as the number one overall seed and won all of its games in the NCAA tournament to win the national championship. So uh, really a tremendous accomplishment for that program. You think about where that program was six years ago when Nadine Muzaral was hired as coach. She was actually hired as coach about two weeks before the start of a season in 2016-17. She replaced a coach who had been there only one year and Jenny Potter, she was fired because of NCAA violations that she had committed. The coach before that was forced to resign because of sexual harassment complaints. So this was a program when Nadine Muzaral took over as head coach, had never been a championship contender before, uh, just had problems that uh, went way beyond struggles on the ice. I mean, just problems in general with that program. And she very quickly turned that program into a national contender. They, they made the Frozen Four in her uh, second year on the job and hadn't quite been able to break through that barrier to actually go all the way and win in the Frozen Four and win a national title, but able to do that this year, leaving no doubt, really, when you look at their entire season, but Ohio State was the best program in women's hockey this year and truly a tremendous job by Nadine to take a program that, uh, had a ton of problems within it and, and turned it into one of the now clearly elite programs in the sport. And an anecdote you have to love about this whole story, Dan, as well, is that Nadine Muzrell actually, you know, went into the athletics office and, and told the Department of Athletics before the season that Ohio State would win a national championship this season, which if you've got to talk to her at all before, you you, are, you already know how much of a confident, you know, woman and, and coach and leader that Coach Muzrell is. But the fact that she actually called her shot before the season makes it all the more impressive that they actually did win that national title. They've been inching towards that moment for a few years now, building up to this. But now they've actually got that, can raise that banner in Columbus now. Yeah, that team had, had a really genuine belief that it was going to win the national championship. And it's, it's so much easier to say that than to actually do it. I mean, we hear it all the time. I mean, I feel like every year I've covered Ohio State football, somebody on the team is very confident they're going to win the national championship. So it's a lot easier to say it than to actually do it. But, you know, this was a team that you could just tell they had a lot of belief in each other. And they went out there on the ice and they backed it up. So uh, huge congratulations to Ohio State women's hockey. Actually, one of two Ohio State programs that won a national championship over the weekend, the Pistol Team, which has won a lot of national championships. They won uh, the overall national championship at the Intercollegiate Pistol Championships as well. So congratulations to them. Also, the Ohio State women's basketball team on Monday night upset the number three seed LSU in convincing fashion, 79 to 64, to advance to 
Uh, the first Sweet 16 for the Buckeyes since 2017. We talked about them last week. I sold them short a little bit. I did correctly predict that they would go further in the tournament than the Ohio State men's basketball team, but did not correctly predict that uh, they would actually get to the Sweet 16. Great job by them. Uh, they, you know, they had not played in the tournament in four years, much like we're going to be talking about here for men's basketball team. Uh, they're a team that's had some good years, but hasn't necessarily had a ton of success in March in the past. But I think this year's Buckeyes, to get that win over LSU on the road, they've already exceeded expectations. We'll see what they can do here as they go into the Sweet 16. They're going to be playing the number two seed, in the Spokane region, that being Texas on Friday. So they've got a tough task in front of them, but certainly that's a team as well that they've gone through some stuff. They had a self-imposed postseason ban last year because of recruiting violations. To come back and win a share of a regular season Big Ten title and now advance to the Sweet 16 of the NCAA, it's been a great season for them no matter what happens from here. Well, Dan, as I recall, I believe you also sold short the, the Ohio State men's basketball program because you had them losing to Loyola in the first round of the NCAA tournament. I had them winning. Now, listen, they didn't get much further than your prediction at the end of the day. Of course, Ohio State did lose in the second round to Villanova, but they did manage to get that first round victory, which they obviously could not capture a season ago when they got upset by Oral Roberts, the 15 seed in the first round, which was one factor in, in, in a reason a lot of people were picking the upset in that matchup. Sister Jean, the, the runs that Loyola has gone uh, on in the past several years, going to the Final Four, I believe in 2018, going to the, the Sweet 16 a year ago. But Ohio State looked pretty good in, in that game, especially defensively, uh, holding Loyola to just 41 points. Chris Holman called it the best defensive performance the team has had in a couple of years. Obviously, that's been a big Achilles heel for that, that team this season. But that was as far as they went, Dan, because, of course, in the very next game, Ohio State did lose to Villanova, of course. Yeah, let's be honest. My NCAA tournament predictions have not gone very well. Uh, I, as you may remember, I predicted that Iowa would make the Final Four. They lost to Richmond in the first round. I also predicted that Kentucky would make the national championship game, and they lost in the first round to St. Peter's. So uh, I, I, one thing I was correct about is I did think this was going to be an unpredictable tournament with a lot of chaos, and we have seen that so far. I didn't correctly predict where the chaos would happen, though. So I think your predictions are holding up a little better, I think. You said you thought Purdue would make a Final Four run. Uh, they're one of only two Big Ten teams still in it, the other being Michigan. And I think that's, to me, one of the most disappointing things about Ohio State losing on Sunday is we were just an Ohio State win away from getting to see an Ohio State-Michigan Sweet 16 game. That would have been a lot of fun. Oh, yeah, the storylines would have been great going into that one. A third game and a chance for Ohio State to play. Juwan, of course, Juwan Howard and Hunter Dickinson missed that second matchup, so that would have been a lot of fun things to write about going into that one. But you talk about the unpredictability of the tournament, but that really doesn't apply to Ohio State because, as we've now seen for five years under Chris Holtman, even though, of course, the 2020 NCAA tournament was canceled, so they've only had four NCAA tournament uh, opportunities under Chris Holtman, they have not gotten past the second round or the first weekend of the tournament in any of those four opportunities, which is now, it, that's just clearly the hump that Ohio State has to get over. And listen, they weren't expected to beat Villanova. Of course, Villanova being a number two seed that came in very hot going into that game. But you do now look at the you know last five years for postseason opportunities in the NCAA tournament, and Ohio State has not been able to get past that barrier which seems to be the thing that a lot of Ohio State fans would like them to get past. And now it's been nine seasons since they made one in general, dating back to the Thad Mata era. Yeah, I, I do think I think the one unfortunate thing about this podcast with, with the timing of it in terms of trying to talk about an NCAA tournament is that I, I do think Ohio State deserves some credit for winning that first game. And I mean, had what what Chris Holtman called their best defensive performance in years. And it really was. They held Loyola to 41 points. And that was a really important win for Ohio State. If I think if, if we were talking right now about Ohio State losing to a double-digit seed mid-major for the second year in a row, there would undoubtedly be a feeling of great dismay around the Ohio State basketball program to suffer that fate two years in a row. So I think that first win was important. You are correct that I did sell them short in that regard. And so because of that, I do want to give them credit for winning that first game because this was a team, they were clearly going in the wrong direction going into the tournament. So to bounce back in that game, I think clearly 
Kyle Young's return made a huge difference in that game and uh, allowing them to play as well as they did defensively and to ultimately get, get to that second round. But, you know, the tough thing about it is you get to celebrate that win for two days and then you go play another game. And if you lose that next game, then that's where all the focus goes. And so I think that is where the focus is right now for a lot of Ohio State fans. And we talked about it last week. If Ohio State lost in the first round, it was going to clearly be a failure. It was going to clearly be a massive disappointment. And it was going to, there was going to be no way to spin that positively. If, we were talking right now about Ohio State playing in the Sweet 16 on Thursday. It'd be a success already because that, like you said, Ohio State hasn't been to the Sweet 16 in almost a decade. They haven't been to the Sweet 16 yet under Chris Holtman. So I think, just like we were talking about for women a few minutes ago, I think if Ohio State had gotten to the Sweet 16, although it would be a little different with a game against Michigan. Like I think if you lost to Michigan and you made the Sweet 16, you'd still end on a pretty sour note. But you would have at least been able to say, you know, at this point, we've made progress. We've gone further than we've ever gone before with Chris Holtman. Whereas to lose that game to Villanova, I said it last week, I felt like if they won one and then lost to Villanova in the second round, it was going to be a meh feeling about what, what how Ohio State's season ended. And that's still the way. I feel like, yeah, they, they got that first round win. That was important. I think any talk about Chris Holtman being fired, although I'm, I know there's some listeners out there who probably want to hear us say that Chris Holtman is on the hot seat right now. I truly do not believe that he is on the hot seat in any way. I think the only way that was going to happen was if he lost that first round game. I still think it was unlikely to happen this year, but maybe if they lost that first round game, I don't think that Chris Holtman is on the hot seat right now. Be because of losing to Villanova in the second round. But with that being said, it's absolutely fair now, five years into Chris Holtman's tenure, obviously one of those five years the NCAA tournament was canceled and we'll never know what they could have done in that year. But I mean, I, I mean I've said it before. I, 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 I said it on this show last year, a year ago, after Ohio State was a limited tournament. I said the Sweet 16 was the goal for this year. And I felt that anything less than that would be a disappointment because... You brought back E.J. Liddell, one of the best players in the country. You have Malachi Branham, who came in, and I had high expectations for him. He was even better than I thought he would be as a freshman. You had nine seniors on this team. That was, to me, that was the goal. That was the baseline goal for this team, was to get to the Sweet 16 this year. And Ohio State fell short of that. And so I, I do think that certainly it's fair to be disappointed about the way this season went for the team, and it's fair to expect more than what Ohio State has accomplished on the basketball court in recent years. Chris Holtman's not getting fired yet. If we're in this same situation next year, maybe it's a different conversation. Right now, Chris Holtman, his job, I think it remains very secure, at least for next year. But without a doubt, it's disappointing that once again, it's the second week of a tournament and Ohio State's season is over. And we've talked about this before. We'll talk about it again because it's part of the story and, and people aren't going to want to hear it because it sounds like an excuse for Chris Holtman to say that, okay, injury issues were, were a part of the season. But if you're telling the, the whole picture of the story, if you're telling the balanced side of things, you have to say that injuries were a, a big uh, you know, problem for the Buckeyes this season. I mean, Chris Holtman has said that the most injury adversity he's gone through in his 25 years of coaching, which you know, maybe he, he keeps reminding everyone that because he, he wants to be given some slack because of that fact. But the fact that you didn't have Justice Suing, and that's why one of the biggest problems for this team all season was beyond, at the beginning of the season, it was just who can score besides EJ Liddell because at that point, Malachi Branham hadn't even emerged yet. And so you saw Ohio State struggling with teams like Akron and even Niagara in those first couple of games. And you're thinking, Who's going to step up besides EJ Liddell on this entire roster? Then you had the emergence of Malachi Branham. But after that, it was always who was going to step up on any given night. And too many nights for Ohio State this season, nobody stepped up in that third or fourth scoring uh, option role. And I think another thing that, that kind of dovetails with that is the fact that the three grad transfers that Ohio State brought in this season in Wheeler, Russell, and Brunk, those three guys combined for three points in the most important game of the season against Villanova. And I think one of them played, Brunk didn't play at all. I think Russell might have played like four minutes or something like that. And so considering those were three guys that, that were coming in as guys that 
you thought could contribute right away for that team? The fact that none of those guys, obviously Wheeler was the biggest contributor out of that group, but in terms of just scoring, purely scoring three points out of those three players in the, the biggest game of the season was not enough. So that was a pretty a, a big swing and a miss, honestly, if you just look at that game alone in terms of what Ohio State was doing this season. And then just the fact that Justice Suing could have been that third option for Ohio State offensively. I think Branham, of course, has a higher ceiling in terms of what he can do on offense than Suing really ever did. But if Branham had emerged the same way with Suing on the court, Suing is that third option, a guy that can still give you 10 to 12 points per game, maybe even more depending on how much he, he improved over the offseason. The fact that you didn't have that element of things was a big issue for Ohio State and a big missing piece because then you had to play a guy like Eugene Brown, who I know got a ton of criticism for, for his uh, performance late in the season as a guy that was starting games for the Buckeyes in the NCAA tournament. The fact that you had to play him so much in that role when you could have had a Justice Suing and even Seth Towns to a lesser extent playing minutes in that kind of two to four versatile uh, forward range that, that Brown was playing for the Buckeyes there. All of those things would have contributed potentially to a better season. But at the same time, you'll never know what would have happened because the reality is things went how they went. And Holman's going to have to deal with the consequences of those in this offseason. Yeah, I think if you are trying to boil this down to one thing, like why Ohio State didn't achieve its goals this year, it is the, the absence of a reliable third scorer behind EJ and Malachi. I think that it does all come back to that. I mean, I think even you just saw it in the tournament, you had Kyle Young come back for that Loyola game and he becomes that guy he becomes that key third piece and he elevates them I mean you even wrote it in your preview that they had to have that third guy step up and it was him and then against Villanova he gets hurt I think he's fine but you know he had come off a concussion he takes a shot to the head they made the smart decision to, to take him out of a game and not allow him to continue playing but nobody else was able to step up and fill that void and become that third guy. And that made a huge difference there. Not to necessarily say that I even think they necessarily would have beaten Villanova if Kyle had played the whole game, but just to say that I, that's just one element of it. But, you know, it, it certainly does go back to losing just suing. And after those first two games of the year, because I was thinking about the draft that we did just before the season on this podcast. And, you picked Justice Suing second after EJ Liddell. And I completely agreed to that pick. Like, I would have made the same pick that you did. So the fact that they, they lost Justice Suing that early in the year, they lost a guy who I think would have been their third most important player of what Malachi became, to lose him that early in the season was uh, without a doubt – a a big loss for his team. Now Griffin was pointing at my computer as I looked at the draft that I'm talking here. Because In shame, he picked Michi Johnson with the third pick. And now I don't want to you know sit here and take shots at specific players. I don't think you can blame this on any specific player. But I think that speaks to it a little bit too. That's a guy going into the year that I think expectations were a lot higher for. And he dealt with some injuries too. But I think there was an expectation coming into the year when we talked about what this team could become. Like, Michi Johnson was a guy that we really, both of us thought. I, I remember saying at the time, I would have taken Malachi over Michi. But we both thought Michi was going to be a key player on this team. We both thought he was somebody who was going to add more in the scoring department than he did. And so you didn't get what you were expecting out of Michi. You didn't get anything out of justice. Go down this list. Malachi Branham, he exceeded expectations. I do feel confident saying that I won this draft because I got <laughs> EJ and Malachi. And so I think that pretty safely gives me the win in this draft. But I'll concede that. You go down the list. I mean, Zed Key, uh, we saw early in the year, Zed Key, the way he played against Duke, like we saw early in the year him show the potential to really be that, you know, third guy for Ohio State. But he just wasn't able to do it consistently. I think especially when he got into Big Ten play and he started going up against guys like, you know, Zach Eady and Hunter Dickinson and Kofi Coburn. He was just a little bit overmatched playing at some of those bigger, truer centers. And you know, I think he's a good player, but I think Zed Key is still a role player. He's not a guy that they can rely on. If he is their third best scorer, that's probably not good enough for Ohio State to to be a team that can make a deep tournament run. And I think I think that really was the biggest issue with this team is you had two guys you could really rely on in EJ and Malachi, 
the rest, you just didn't know what you were going to get from night to night. And part of that does go back to injuries. It, it's, it is an excuse, but it is a valid excuse because you lost Justice Suing. I mean, you lost... I, I didn't know what to ever know what to expect for Seth Towns this season because we knew he was coming off of injuries, but he is another guy that had he been healthy, potentially could have helped. You had Kyle Young miss time. You had Zed Key miss time. You had Michi Johnson miss time. So injuries were a legitimate factor in what happened here. But I think the question becomes, was this more about injuries or is it more about overall roster management? And that goes back to your point about if, if, if injuries, you combine everything. Okay, there's five transfers on this team and they weren't getting much of anything out of them, at least scoring-wise. I mean, Jamari Wheeler was a key defensive piece. But if you just look at the tournament, you had five transfers on the team. Two of them weren't playing because of injuries, but then the other three, Jamari was the only one who was playing consistently. And so I think injuries are a part of it, but it goes beyond injuries too. It goes to the fact that they haven't hit well enough in, in the transfer portal. Because that's part of college basketball. I mean, if you look at the teams that are still in the tournament, most of them have at least one key player on there who, who transferred in and is playing a major role for them. And so that's part of modern era college basketball. It's not a knock on using the transfer portal. It's a, you have to use it better. Like you have to get better players from the transfer portal. And that's, again, it's not a knock on any individual player. Again, Someone like a Justice Suing, it's bad fortune that he got hurt and couldn't play this year. Maybe he could have played a major role. But I do think you, know, you can look at the fact that, again, this was a team that had nine seniors. This was a team that had 15 scholarship players this year because neither Young or Sotos counted against the limit. When you have 15 players, one or two injuries shouldn't kill your chances of achieving your goals. And so I think that to me is where you can definitely blame injuries for some of it, but you can't put it all on injuries. Ultimately, I think from like an Ohio State football context, yeah, if they lost CJ Stroud, I mean, they had to be there EJ Liddell. If you lost to CJ Stroud, like that's obviously going to impact your national championship chances. But, you know, it's a different sport, obviously. But I mean, if you lost your third best player on the football team, you can't use that as an excuse for why you didn't uh, achieve your goals. And I, I think it's legitimate. I do think that it's legitimate that they faced a lot of injury issues this year. But I also think the question Chris Holtman now has to ask himself is, okay, how do I build this roster next year so that if we have injury issues again, we are better prepared to overcome them? Yeah, and I actually wanted to touch again on, on something you mentioned there, which was Michi Johnson being a guy that we thought was going to have a certain role and not necessarily living up to expectations. I think you got to put Justin Arns in the same category as a guy that was supposed to take a, another step. He'd been building the last couple seasons, but and he had started a bunch of games the, the, the season before his junior year too, but we saw he tapered off at the end of the year and they, and they couldn't start him at, at a certain point. The same exact thing happened this year for Justin Arns. Although he he didn't even he wasn't even as hot as he was the previous season for as long because he started pretty strong but then really fell off and, and wasn't even able to to be a guy that could even stretch the floor for the Buckeyes. I mean, if he's going to be on the court, he's got to be hitting threes. He ended up shooting thirty five percent from three, making one point four a game. That's a guy that you thought could possibly make three threes a game maybe for Ohio State. The best case scenario as a starter, they didn't have that. I, w I was saying if Justin Arns hits five threes against Villanova, then Ohio State's definitely going to win the game. But you never got the sense that that could even be a, a possibility of something that happened in that game. And I think if you look at Michi Johnson, Justin Arns, and, and also maybe you throw Eugene Brown, who again was thrusting more of a role than maybe Ohio State expected him to be this year, those three guys, I would say, all didn't do as much with their minutes as they needed to do for Ohio State to to reach that next level of success given the injuries they had to Justice Suing and guys like that. Yeah, I don't think anyone would have guessed that Jamari Wheeler and EJ Liddell would have a better three-point shooting percentage than Justin Arns did this year for a guy who was viewed as a three-point specialist. And yeah, I mean, without a doubt, I mean, I think, again, you, you had two... I mean, you, you saw the discrepancy in that Villanova matchup where Villanova had six guys that, at least going into that game, I haven't checked the stats since, that were averaging nine-plus points per game. Ohio State had two. EJ and Malachi. And so they had two guy, two stars 
two who are going to be first-round draft picks. You're hoping only one of them this year, but uh, we'll get to that in just a minute about what the future of his team could look like. But, yeah, you just didn't have an – you just – it really does boil back down to you didn't have that consistent third guy you could rely on. And I think they needed that to elevate to the point that we thought they should have been able to elevate to. And a question here about the, the general performance of the Big Ten in the NCAA tournament. Um, only two teams from the Big Ten in the Sweet 16 this year after only one last year. And we talked about before the NCAA tournament started, I mean, the Big Ten needed to have kind of a better performance in the tournament in order for, for people to still consider it to be the, the the top conference in college basketball. Does this kind of prove that the Big Ten is overrated then? Yeah, I don't know if it proves anything, but I mean, I definitely think it supports that argument because it, it is, I mean, it, it, they were going into the final game of the first weekend with Purdue needing to beat Texas to avoid the same fate as last year, which is when they had nine teams in the tournament and the only one who made the Sweet 16 was Michigan. They got... Purdue and Purdue still looks, you know, very much like a potential Final Four contender, especially that Baylor and Kentucky are both out of that region. Purdue now the highest seeded team in that region, so they still look like a very real contender to make a deep run. We'll see if Michigan can avenge Ohio State's loss to Villanova, though I doubt they're looking at it that way. But yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely, again, a disappointing tournament for the Big Ten. I'm not to the same degree as last year because last year the Big Ten had two one seeds and two two seeds. So last year the Big Ten had you know four teams that were really supposed to make deep runs, including uh, Ohio State. This year they had two three seeds, a four seed, and a five seed. So only one of those teams making the Sweet 16 is a disappointment. I mean, having Wisconsin lose to Iowa State, Illinois losing to Houston, I'm not sure how that's really an upset, but you know that was certainly a team that uh, you fought had Sweet 16 potential and then Iowa losing in the first round. And so uh, I, I think it is a disappointment for the Big Ten, but it's hard. I mean, you, you think about the odds of it. If you go in with 68 teams in the tournament and 16 make the Sweet 16, then that would average out to about two to three teams. So they're not really necessarily underperforming the average of where they should. But I think you would have liked to have at least three in there. I haven't really looked at the numbers to see how many conferences have more than two, uh, but there obviously can't be many. I don't think I, I don't think you can read too much into it, but I, certainly I think when you have nine teams in the tournament two years in a row and a combined three out of 18 make the Sweet 16, that is a disappointment, and it does make you think that Maybe the conference has gotten a little bit too much love from the selection committee because they don't seem to be quite performing up to the seeds that they're getting. And of course, Ohio State will not have a chance to make a deeper run in the NCAA tournament until next season. But I think if you're an Ohio State fan, there's a little bit less hope going into this offseason than maybe you had last season because even though Ohio State did have that very disappointing loss to Oral Roberts, at that time, right after the season ended, you tentatively thought that EJ Liddell and Dwayne Washington were both coming back with Justice Suing, and then you also had a guy like Malachi Branham, a pretty high, highly rated recruit coming in as well into the mix. This season, though, EJ Liddell is almost certainly gone. It's, it's basically all but official. Chris Holman said on the radio Monday that basically he'll announce it on his own time, and so Chris Holman's not going to come out and say with absolute certainty, but it, pretty much absolute certainty that EJ Liddell is going to the NBA Malachi Branham is a much more questionable situation there because he's in the first round in a lot of mock drafts, but I think a lot of people think if he came back, he could really cement himself as a high lottery pick with another year of college experience under his belt. Because if you remember, he didn't come right into the season as, as the superstar, not as a superstar, but the star player that he became by the end of the season. It took him a little while to get rolling. Obviously, we know the caliber of player he is now, but could that go to an even you know, higher extent with another year. A lot of people seem to think so. Ohio State is going to lose Joey Brunk, Cedric Russell, Jimmy Sotos, Kyle Young, Jamari Wheeler. A lot of seniors, Ohio State's going to be losing. A lot of experienced guys. They have that, that 2022 recruiting class, the top five in the country coming in, but that puts a lot of pressure on those guys to perform right away when they aren't five-star guys that you're really depending on to be stars right away. It can go either way with guys that are top 50 recruits. E.J. Liddell being a prime example of a guy that was, I think, number 44 in the country coming in. 
It took him one year of, of sitting on the bench before he became that star for Ohio State. Of course, Malachi Branham's an example of the, the opposite. He was in the same range there in terms of his recruiting status, but ended up becoming a star in his very first season. So there's a lot of things to we'll have to wait and see with that recruiting class. Obviously, there's big questions as well with guys like Justin Arns, Justice Suing, and Seth Towns, who all could come back for Ohio State. I, I tend to think we are going to see Suing and Towns probably return. I, I think Holtman alluded to the fact that Hookfin won't be back for Ohio State, so I'm not sure if that is still an uncertainty or not. I think he alluded to that on the radio, but I could be mistaken on that. So there's a lot of questions just in terms of personnel for Ohio State, who is probably going to have to bring in a couple of transfer guys as well this offseason. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of roster turnover this offseason, and I don't think that's entirely a bad thing because of what we just talked about, that clearly the roster this year was not quite good enough for this team to make a deep tournament run. And so I think there needs to be some turnover, both in the sense of the recruits they already have signed and in the sense of bringing in a little bit more talent in the transfer portal. And by that play, they actually need a couple of the guys who are uncertain to leave. Because right now, if you if the only guys you count for sure is gone are Brunk, Russell, Sotos, Young, Wheeler, and Liddell, they'd actually be at 14 scholarships right now. So like you said, Hookvin probably gone. I know Arns went through senior day, so I don't know that he's confirmed one way or the other what he's going to do, but that would maybe be an indication that maybe he's moving on. I think there's two guys in that group that you really want to have back. You, you definitely are hoping you get Malachi Branham back for another year. My feeling is he'll go through the NBA draft process and see how that goes. And maybe the feedback there one way or the other will uh, determine his ultimate decision. But you're certainly, you're going to wait for him as long as you have to, because uh, you certainly want him back. Just assuming the other guy that you, you certainly want back. If, if he can make a full recovery and become the player you thought he was going to be this year, next year. But he's a guy that can definitely give you a scoring boost and one that you're absolutely going to need with EJ Liddell leaving. And so I think those two guys are the two you really want to have back. Seth Towns, I just don't know. I mean, he's played so little basketball in the last, what, four years? I mean, it, it, it's like when we talked about Cam Babb with football. It's, I hope that if he chooses to keep playing that he can stay healthy just for his sake. But to know whether he's somebody that Ohio State can actually rely on at this point, I just don't know because he's had so many injury issues. And so I do think that assuming that my, my feeling would be you're probably going to get to a point, even if a five guy's coming in, you'll probably get to a point where you have, just based on overall moves, you'll probably get to a point where you have two more scholarships you can fill. And I think the first priority I think is going to be looking to bring in another transfer point guard because with losing Jamari Wheeler, with losing Jimmy Sotos, right now the only point guards you'd have on the roster for next year are Michi Johnson and Bruce Fortin. And I think Bruce Fortin could play a lot right away. I think he's really talented, but you don't want to be fully reliant on a true freshman point guard. I think you're certainly going to hope for more out of Michi next year. I don't know that he's necessarily become a guy that they trust yet to be that primary ball handler. And so... I, I think they. I think that's need number one, in my opinion, in the transfer portal is, is to go get a veteran point guard. Probably, ideally, somebody who adds a little bit more as a scorer than Jamari Wheeler did. Although, I mean, I think Jamari was a good addition. I mean, I, I think for what they expected him to be, he brought a lot on defense, and he actually did pretty good on offense. And so, I think Jamari was a good addition. But I think him being gone, I do think you need to you know, probably go get a veteran point guard. And then I think ideally you, you probably need to add another post player too. And again, you're, you're probably hoping for somebody who offers a little more than Joey Brown. You're out, you're somebody who offers a little more on both ends of a floor. You do have Felix Akpara coming in and he's going to be that true seven footer that they've been lacking at center, but again, a freshman. And so I think it doesn't necessarily have to even be a center. It might be more of a power forward to replace EJ Liddell. But I think with EJ leaving, with Kyle leaving, with Joey leaving, I think they probably need a veteran post player and a veteran point guard in the transfer portal. I agree. And th those aren't the only you know pieces Ohio State is going to have to replace because on the coaching staff as well, we now have two assistants departing from Chris Holman's staff. We already knew about Ryan Peden, of course, Ohio State's kind of highest ranking assistant and also longest tenured with Holman at this point. 
He obviously accepted the Illinois State head coaching vacancy back on, I think, March 4th or the, the that first week of March. And now just a couple days after the season, Kevin Willard, who was the Seton Hall head coach when with Tony Skin working underneath him for the past three years before this season, he now has the new Maryland job, and Tony Skin is now going to be jumping over to Maryland. Of course, he is a, a Maryland native as well. Adjoin, rejoining forces with Kevin Willard with the Terrapins, which leaves two vacancies on that staff for Chris Holman to have to fill, which with everything else going on with the, the personnel, it's, it's, a lot, it's a lot for Chris Holman to do. And that's what I, I just wrote a story about this today is that it's going to be a, a very busy offseason for Chris Holman, especially these first few months when he's figuring out everything to do in terms of who's staying, who's going, who they're going to have to bring in the transfer portal, and who is going to replace two important assistant coaching roles on his staff. Jake Diebler is going to take over a lot of Ryan Peden's responsibilities. He's going to be the new offensive coordinator. But of course, all the defensive issues that Ohio State had this past season, who's going to fill that role? And now Tony Skin, who was a, a guy that, that theoretically had a lot of recruiting connections. He did a lot of scouting stuff as well for Ohio State. Somebody to play that kind of role for the Buckeyes as well. All those questions have to be addressed here in pretty short order for Chris Holtman. Yeah, I mean, I think replacing having to replace two or three assistant coaches in the same offseason is not ideal. But I do think, again, like the roster turnover, I don't think it's a completely bad thing that there's some turnover here. Nothing against either of those two guys in particular, but I do think one one thing that I look at is, okay, Terry Johnson was your defensive guy. Jake Diebler seems like he has more of an offensive background, and they didn't really replace... Tony Skin, it sounds like a lot of what he was doing was a lot of like scouting opponents and all that, but it seemed like they didn't really quite replace what Terry Johnson was bringing defensively, and that showed itself on the court, and so... I think bringing some new blood into the coaching staff, especially when there's some people who would like new blooded head coach, it's not going to happen right now, but I think bringing some new coaches in, I think that could be a good thing for Ohio State. I think it's imp- I think it's important that he gets these hires. I mean, I think cert- I think Diebler is a guy who's really big in recruiting, and so you certainly want to uh, keep him around, and I think he can help keep things together there. But I think in terms of certainly defensively and just rounding out that staff, I think this is an opportunity. I'm curious to see who he brings in. I'd almost, I I don't know what his MO would be. I'd almost be curious to see like, would he try to get like a Phil Martelli kind of guy that Jawan Howard has at Michigan? Would he try to bring in somebody who has a little bit more experience, maybe some head coaching experience to add to his staff? I don't think he's ever really had that, but I'd be curious to see if that's something he'd be open to. It sounds like there's been a lot of interest in the positions that are open. I'm curious to see what route he, he takes with that. And if it, if bringing in those co- – I mean, it's hard for me with basketball, like with football – you have a more tangible idea of what each of the coaches are bringing to the staff. In basketball, it's like harder for me to diagnose that. But you know, certainly, I think it's an opportunity to bring some new perspectives in, and hopefully, that will lead to better results. But I think part of the angst about Holtman in the program right now is, like we talked about, if if Ohio State needs to get to that next level to the Sweet 16, you're looking at the situation right now, and I mean, I don't feel good about Ohio State's chances of making. I would not say that. I would, I'm expecting Ohio State to make a Sweet 16 next year. What about you, Dan? No, I mean, I'm going to be honest. I'm not because I just think you're potentially going to lose your two best players, potentially, and you're losing a lot. Next year's team is going to be a lot younger. I mean, even if guys like Suing and Towns and Arns stick around, next year's team is going to be a lot younger than this year's team. I think whether Branham stays or goes – could it make a major impact on what next year's team is able to do? Certainly a lot of it next year is going to depend on how many of those five freshmen coming in can make an immediate impact. If two or three of them can immediately play up to their potential, then maybe this team has a chance to do some damage. My initial thought just as the offseason begins would be this: the team that just played this season should have been better than the team that they're going to have next year. I think maybe in two years, you bring in a really talented recruiting class, maybe in two years when those guys are sophomores, I think the future could be bright then. And maybe if you hit things right in the transfer portal this year, maybe you can accelerate that timeline. But I do think, I, I think that is where things get interesting because Gene Smith publicly, at least, has, has thrown all his support behind Holtman. 
the Ohio State fan base is getting impatient. There, there's no doubt about that. And so I don't think there's a ton of Ohio State basketball fans right now that are going, well, hopefully in two years we'll make it to the Sweet 16. I think there's a lot of fans that every single year Ohio State does not make it to the second weekend of a tournament. The angst is going to rise. And so I think that's going to be the challenge next year. And Chris Holtman's a guy that if, if he knows in his heart that his team next year is probably not going to be a Sweet 16 team, he's going to try to get out ahead of it. With his, you, you could, a lot of times you can tell from Chris Holtman's press conferences even early in the season like what the concerns are about his team and how much he really believes in them because he'll try to lower expectations and try to set the table for these are the things that might go wrong for this team. Be prepared for them. I think the problem with that is now that he's going into his sixth year as coach, Ohio State fans just aren't as receptive to that. Like they get it when you're initially coming in, you're taking over for Fad Mata. There's been problems in the program. There's some patience initially, but I think now going into his sixth year, people don't want to wait anymore for success. They, they want to see success now. And I think that's extremely reasonable with the fact that he's now been at Ohio state for a half decade. And so I think that's going to be the challenge for him going into next year is I, I do think if I just look at it objectively, I think Ohio state is likely to be better in two years than it's going to be next year. And Look, if I was betting, I would bet that in two years, Chris Holtman is still going to be Ohio State's coach. I'm not going to guess on three years right now. But I, I, if I was guessing right now, I would guess that Chris Holtman will be Ohio State's coach for at least two more years. But if Ohio State, even if Ohio State does what it did this year, there's going to be a lot of angst. If Ohio State takes a step back from this year, there's going to be even more angst. And so I think that's the challenge Chris Holtman's got to deal with going into next season is, the potential to have to replace a lot of really key players and the fact that patience is wearing thin with not meeting certain expectations. Yeah, and I think honestly, if Ohio State is going to be more successful next year, that would probably require Malachi Branham to come back for Ohio State. But let's not even talk about him in terms of Ohio State's success next next season. Despite the fact that, like you said, that's going to require... A, a, a one or, or two maybe of the freshmen to, to really be standout players for Ohio State, I think. And I think you also have to look at three names in particular of returning guys that we you know know are going to be back for the Buckeyes that have to step up next season. And that, we've already talked about them a little bit, but I think that's Zed Key, already a starter this season. I think that's Michi Johnson, and I think Eugene Brown. I think those three guys really have to step up for Ohio State because those are going to be guys that have years under their belt now of course, Michi Johnson is technically a freshman this year, but he did play in, in several games the year prior and, and have that experience. All three of those guys were starters for Ohio State this season at one point or another, Zed Key being the most regular in that department. But Eugene Brown, the second half of the year, was pretty much a, a pretty regular starter. Michi Johnson started the season off as a starter, and then halfway through the season, he, he started a bunch of games for the Buckeyes too. But you look at Eugene Brown, 3.5 points per game as a guy that was a starter in an NCAA tournament round of 32 game, Michi Johnson, 4.4 points per game for Ohio State. A guy that, like you said, he's not this floor general point guard, really. So that that puts him as this undersized shooting guard who wasn't able to score all that much for Ohio State. We saw he can certainly hit deep threes, but they'll need him to do that with a lot more consistency. And then Zed Key, at a certain point in the season, he was a double-digit scorer for Ohio State. Finishes the season averaging 7.8 points per game. I think he's going to have to be a double-digit scorer for the Buckeyes next season and a guy that plays a lot more consistently. And those are three guys that I think could really be X factors in terms of the success of Ohio State season is going to depend on how much those guys can step up and start fulfilling some of their potential. Yeah, technically, Michi's a sophomore. They could call him a freshman, but technically he's a sophomore. Now, he still has three more years of eligibility, as does Zed and Eugene, because of the NCAA giving all players an eligibility another year of eligibility, but technically from an eligibility standpoint, he's already used two of his traditional years because they don't count that freshman year as a red shirt. But I digress because I totally agree. But those are, I totally agree for three guys you, you, you just selected. Cause again, those are all guys who are going to be in their third year in the program 
you look at the fact that they're not going to have any traditional seniors with EJ Liddell leaving because the rest of that class is, is long gone. You might have a few sixth, seventh years, whatever some of these guys are at this point with Justice Suing and, and Seth Towns, but I absolutely agree. I think those three guys in particular you need to see all of them make a step. I, I think those are the three guys, without a doubt, that need to make a step. Because again, I think there's, there's reason to be optimistic about some of these freshmen coming in, whether that's Fortin or Akpara, Sensabaugh, Gale. Those are guys that I, I will not be surprised if two or three of those guys are playing major roles for Ohio State next year, but it's going to take some time for those guys to grow. And I think those three guys in particular, like you said, I think if Ohio State is going to be better next year, it's going to be because all three of those guys made a jump. For sure. And then just to, to, to touch on the transfer portal again, we already talked about the needs Ohio State has to fill there. We've already heard some who Ohio State is reaching out to a little bit. There's a Princeton transfer guard named Jalen Llewellyn, who's a first-team Ivy League guy. Obviously, the Seth Towns, the Ivy League connection there, hasn't necessarily worked out Ohio State envisioned so far, but of course, that's very injury-related. There, Llewellyn averaged 15.8 points per game this season, shooting 45%. Another guy... More of a, a two-guard or a wing. A North Dakota State's Sam Griesel, I believe it's pronounced, 14.3 points per game. Now, just looking at those two guys, I think fans would probably say, can Ohio State land somebody, a, a bigger school, a bigger program? Because we saw this year with C Cedric Russell in particular, a guy that was coming from slightly lower-level competition, and he just wasn't able to log the minutes, and he, he didn't have quite the, the size that you need at that next level to really play and, and score a lot. So I think that that would probably be a concern for Buckeye fans when, when, when looking at those names. But there's going to be a, a, a ton more guys to obviously hit the portal. And, and we will see who Ohio State's reaching out to and, and wants to try to bring in next season as the uh, the weeks and months progress on here. Yeah, it's going to be a very interesting offseason. We'll certainly cover those developments as they happen. But we've got about 10 minutes left in the show, and we haven't talked about any football. So for our listeners who tune in for uh, football purposes, they've probably gotten pretty impatient with us. We do need to talk a little bit about spring football. I mean, part of the reason why we're not talking a lot about spring football today is because we did get to go to spring practice on Tuesday, but if I'm going to be completely honest with you guys, to tell you that I really learned anything from watching that 30 minutes of practice on Tuesday, it was basically identical to what we saw two weeks ago. They, the same period structure, they started with a punt period, then they did a ball security period, and then they did one period of individual drills before we got booted out before they started doing the real stuff i i can't tell you that i learned a whole lot from watching practice on tuesday morning we did see zach harrison and cam brown back in the practice field which is certainly a good thing josh proctor is still out which is maybe more of a concerning thing because ryan day had said a couple weeks ago he had expressed optimism that josh proctor would be able to start ramping up after spring break, but the way he talked today made it sound like Josh Proctor might not practice at all this spring. And that's a little bit concerning. I mean, they do have a lot of bodies at safety. I mean, I was mentioned today in the press conference, I mean, between Ronnie Hickman and Court Williams and Tanner McAllister, Bryson Shaw, I mean, they've got a lot of candidates to play at that position. But I think if Josh Proctor is a guy that has a chance to play a major role in that defense this year, it is concerning that he's not he doesn't seem like he's particularly close to getting back out there and practicing fully because with a new defense being installed the, the more time he misses the more he's going to have to catch up whenever he does get back on the field yeah and, and Cody Simon's another guy that was obviously injured and missed the Rose Bowl having a shoulder surgery he didn't participate in every because he wasn't practicing with the linebackers when they were doing like the, the punch the ball out type of drill but he I did see him back in, in action I'm doing some other stuff after that. Uh, Tyler Friday was a guy that obviously missed all of last season and was listed as being out for all of spring, but he was actually in uniform warming up for the Buckeyes on Tuesday, but didn't actually go through defensive line drills after that. As far as the press conference was concerned, which was probably honestly more uh, noteworthy than the practice itself, because like Dan just said, it was pretty much a rerun of everything we saw on March 8th. But Ryan Day discussed the Harry Miller situation, which obviously with Miller going on to the Today Show the other day has been a big um, you know, hot button topic right now for, for the Ohio State program. And this is the first we actually got to hear Ryan Day talk about that because, of course, Harry Miller said he reached out to Ryan Day when he was feeling suicidal and, and Ryan Day pointed him in the right direction to some resources and whatnot that really helped him out. And, of course, Ryan Day said today, tried to make it not about him. This isn't about Ryan Day being some knight in shining armor or anything like that. It's really about just 
the fact that Day is creating an environment in which mental health can be supported and that players can feel comfortable coming to him or other coaches and reaching out for those resources. And Ryan Day said that he's proud of the work that Harry Miller's done and also that that Harry Miller actually wants to be involved in the team in some capacity. I know, you, Dan, you wrote about that earlier. And, and uh, they don't know how that's exactly going to work out at the moment or what involvement he will have, but that he is you know, interested in still being around the team in some capacity. And yeah, I think it's heartening to see in, in in college football where a lot of time mental health can be glossed over a lot of times to see some exposure on a situation like this. And the fact that someone like Ryan Day in the position he's in is actually taking that serious is a breath of fresh air, I would say. Yeah, I don't know how much more we need to say about that. I would say that when you finish listening to this podcast, if you haven't already, go watch the Today's Show segment with Harry Miller because it was uh, very powerful to listen to Harry talk. And as obviously, as we talked about last week, very uh, glad that he's doing better and wishing him all the best going forward. But go listen to his words because they mean a hell of a lot more coming from him than they're going to mean coming from us. And definitely great to hear Ryan Day take that situation so seriously because it is, it's a very serious, it, it goes well beyond Ohio State football. But the fact that Ryan Day is taking it so seriously and that he was able to provide Harry the support that he needed is a great thing and a great that Harry will still be welcomed back to be around the program and in, in, in whatever capacity they ultimately determine that you know, he can make an impact on the team. He won't be playing, but if he can talk to the team about his experiences and just be a part of that brotherhood, that, that family that they talk about, that would be a great thing for all involved. And, and back on the, the football side of things, the gridiron aspect here, one interesting uh, nugget we learned from Ryan Day on Tuesday was that the Leo position, which we've heard all about because of the Jim Knowles defense being installed, who's going to play that position, that, that hybrid you know, linebacker defensive line position? Ryan Day says it still has not really been installed yet at this stage in the spring. And I think that just goes to show how early it is in the spring we are right now. And the fact that we're not, you know, seeing, learning any huge takeaways right now from these practices because it's so early. They just had spring break. They just came back from spring break. They haven't even started installing some of those packages that Jim Knowles is known for with that Leo position yet, which means that there's not going to be a lot to talk about in terms of who they have playing it right now, because of course they haven't even gotten to that point yet. Yeah, I think it does speak to how early it is, but I think it also speaks to the fact that if you're expecting that position to be a every single down kind of position at Ohio State this year, I'm not so sure that it is going to be. I think that it is going to be a role, but the way that they've talked about it so far makes me think that we're still going to see more, mostly a traditional four down with this defense. And I think a lot of that has to do with the personnel. I mean, you, they have a ton of defensive ends, a ton of guys that are traditional defensive ends that don't have a lot of experience playing in that stand-up role. And I think it's certainly something that they want to implement and they want to find guys who can play that role. But I think some of that could be looking at the personnel and saying, right now, we're better off if we focus primarily on a four-down base defense because you have guys like Zach Harris and JT Tuimolowell Jack Sawyer. You want to play those guys. I think if you can incorporate those guys into the Leo position and it's a great fit, then that's a great thing. But I think if playing the Leo means those guys seeing less playing time, then maybe that's not a good thing. And back on offense, Ryan Day was talking a lot about the tight ends today because, of course, that is a, a position of concern for the Buckeyes given the, the fact that they're losing Jeremy Ruckert. I injured Mitch Rossi right now out for the spring. And they don't really know what they have at that position right now because in terms of experience, they don't have a lot returning at that spot. And I think a lot of fans, people ask me too, like with G. Scott transitioning to tight end, oh, well, why can't G. Scott just play all these snaps at tight end? But the problem is, like Kevin Wilson said multiple times, he just doesn't quite have that, that, that big tight end build that they're looking for with guys that are 6'5", 6'6", 265 that can play at tight end because Ohio State needs tight ends to, in the run game primarily to make things happen for that run game. And Ryan Day talked about that today, said that the tight ends are very important, going to be very important for the offense again this year. And even talked about the possibility of using a, using a tackle at tight end, which we saw sometimes with Donovan Jackson coming in wearing a different number last year. Could they experiment with that a little bit more if they don't have a guy at tight end that they can use as regularly as a Jeremy Ruckert because of the, de the development's just not there yet. 
Yeah, G. Scott did tweet on, I think, Monday. He tweeted 235 with an exclamation point. So I'm assuming that means he weighed in at 235, and that's something he's excited about because he has been trying to uh, bulk up to be able to play that tight end position on a more regular basis. But I definitely think that's a position, like, just hearing the way they talk about it, it reminds me of hearing the way they talked about the linebackers at this time last year, and we saw that ended up being a problem all year. So I do think that's a big position of concern right now. I mean, it's again, I think some people probably hear us say that and they go, why? They don't throw the ball of a tight end very much. But the tight ends are very important in the blocking game, and Ryan Day made the point today. I don't fully believe him. Like, I actually do think we're going to see more 10 personnel this year. Not a lot of it, but I do think we're going to see more four receiver packages this year than we have in the past. I don't think there's any reason for Ryan Day to tell people that he's going to do that, but my feeling of all the talent they have at wide receiver and not having as much of an established group at tight end, I do think it's probably likely we see a little bit more of that mixed into the offense this year, but he made the point that when you do that, but limits what you can do, it makes you more one-dimensional. It makes it harder to run the ball. And they do need someone to step up or multiple players to step up at that tight end position. And I, I thought it was a really good question that Doug Lee Maurice asked when he asked Ryan Day if he would consider moving an offensive tackle to tight end. And, and Ryan Day said, yeah, like he, he, he didn't hesitate to say, yeah. So I'm not exactly sure like who they would put in that role, but it's interesting to hear him acknowledge that without really any hesitation that that's maybe something that they could do from a blocking perspective could that guy catch any passes we don't really know but you know that idea that maybe we could see some more six linemen packages this year or that means getting josh fryer involved or enoch Vamahi's a guy that he mentioned on he mentioned on tuesday as a guy who's pushing for spots you saw donovan jackson play that role last year so maybe there's a role where they put one of those other guys in at guard and Donovan flexes out the tight end on certain. I mean, in the future, maybe a guy like a George Fitzpatrick who used to play tight end. People have talked about how athletic he is. Maybe he's a guy who could fit that kind of role uh, down the line. I'm not sure as a true freshman, but down the line. It was interesting to hear him say that. I think that's definitely a position right now that's a big area of uncertainty and they're really looking for somebody to step up and we'll see if it happens. And Dan, I know you're just really hoping that means that Dewan Jones will end up catching a touchdown you or know possibly running one into the end zone this year so that all your I'm, wildest I'm, fantasies can come true. I'm trying true. to will it into existence, but you got to play Dewan Jones at that jumbo tight end spot and you got to throw him a pass. Let that man score a touchdown. Let the big man eat. I think a lot of fans would, would be excited to see that. And you know, he seems like an unstoppable force. Use him and on I, I, I think Dewan would really like that too. I, I, I think Dewan would love the, to score a touchdown, and I have a feeling we'd get a pretty good celebration out of Dewan too if he scored. Oh, yeah, and I think that would help his NIL evaluation a, a jump a, a without few, a doubt, a, a few without brackets a doubt. as well. One other thing Ryan Day was asked about on Tuesday was uh, Sonny Styles playing in the state championship game on Sunday. Ryan Day said he actually watched the entire game as Sonny helped lead Pickerington Central to a state championship. I, I went to see Sonny play a couple weeks ago. And I tell you, I, he, he's not planning to play basketball at Ohio State, but I think he could help Chris Altman's squad if, if he actually was going to play basketball. I, I don't think it will actually happen, but he, he's a good basketball player. He's not a guy who's going to score a ton of points, but you know, just of his athleticism, he's a good ball handler, great defender. He's a guy that got some D1 offers. I think he's a guy who could play. He could play for Ohio State. I'm not saying he'd be a star at Ohio State, but I think he's a guy who, if he really wanted to do that, could play at Ohio State. Again, I'm not predicting it will happen because you know, we were talking about this last year if JT2 and Molo wow, it never came to fruition. I mean, I think DeWan Jones is a guy who probably would have loved to play some basketball at Ohio State. It doesn't really ever seem to actually work out. So I doubt that it will actually happen, but congrats to Sonny for winning a state championship. And Ryan Day's talked a lot about how he likes two-sport athletes, and I think he really likes Sonny uh, has some things from the basketball court, but he may now be able to translate to the football field as he'll be done in high school in a couple of months and he'll be playing football for the Buckeyes. I got to tell you, Dan, as good as Sonny Styles might be on the hardwood, I have a feeling that with everything else going on at Holtman's program, he would probably be rolling his eyes a little bit about the prospects of taking on another guy that's, yeah, is he going to play basketball or is he just playing football? Because obviously we saw how that worked yeah. out with JT. Well, I'm not saying he should. I'm just saying that I think if it was something that he was actually going to try to do, I think he's good enough to play. But yeah, I think Chris Holtman should focus on guys who can play basketball all year long and not guys who can join the team for a couple months.
For sure. And yeah, uh, t- obviously on Wednesday, we're going to have pro day coverage coming at you. By the time you hear this, that will already be going on. We talked on Tuesday, CJ Stroud and Cardell Jones will be throwing to Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, and others. And we will have you locked in for all types of updates from the WAC as that's going on Wednesday. Yeah, lots of coverage on the website. If you're listening to this on Wednesday afternoon or later, probably already be some coverage up on the website, or if not, it'll be coming soon. So hope you guys will check that out. And then anything that we uh, learn that's interesting at Pro Day, we'll certainly talk about it on next week's episode, as well as all the latest with spring football. Now that spring break's over, there's going to be multiple practices and media availabilities every week through the spring game on April 16. So we're going to have a lot more to talk about with spring football here over the next few weeks. We hope you'll tune in again next week. Thanks for joining us on this basketball heavy episode of Real Pod Wednesdays and enjoy the rest of your week.